Hello, and welcome back to the Grace Downtown podcast. Our annual fall retreat is coming up next weekend, and we're looking forward to welcoming guest speaker Tom Gibbs from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas. This week on the podcast, to help you get ready for the retreat, we're bringing you a sermon that Tom Gibbs preached a few years ago at his home church. The registration deadline for the retreat is this Sunday night at midnight. To register, or for more information, or to apply for a scholarship, visit gracedc.net slash downtown. Now, here's Tom. This morning, we're opening God's Word to Revelation chapters 21 and 22. You can uh, find that passage we're looking at this morning printed in your bulletins. Uh, and as we begin, let me remind us to stay standing as we as we read God's Word, but as we, as we begin, I want to briefly summarize the journey we have made from the Garden to the City as we conclude our series. Um, we, we started, of course, in the Garden of Eden with the creation of Adam and Eve, and there we learned that God had called Adam and Eve to exercise all of their God-given capacities as image bearers. They were to, um, uh, they were to steward the image of God by uh, cultivating the garden and all of its blessing that they were to um, have children and populate the earth and thus create a civilization, create culture. Um, and, and there from the very beginning, we see the emergence of what we, we would call a city. Of course, as the story continues to unfold, Adam and Eve um, fall into sin. They break God's commandments and thus um, launch humanity and themselves into uh, separation from God, from each other, from creation. Uh, and, and so uh, the, the world is, as it were, broken, fallen. But God doesn't give up on what he has made, what he has begun, but in fact continues to pursue that original vision. And the Bible tells us that God sends us another Adam, the second Adam, Paul calls him. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God, who fulfills and reclaims all that God had begun with with uh, Adam and Eve in, in the garden. Um, that story uh, we've been reading about, and it culminates in the scriptures in the book of Revelation, and especially here in chapters 21 and 22. And what we see at the very end of the story of the Bible is, wouldn't you know it, God's original vision consummated. That is, a new city. That what God began to seek in the beginning is what he gets in the end. And that's what we read about here in Revelation chapter 21. I'm not going to read everything, thankfully, uh, but I will read uh, some key portions of these two chapters. So please give, our, give your attention to God's word. Verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then in verse 10, And he carried me away in the Spirit to the great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. 
It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And then in verse 1 of chapter 22, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with his twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank You for this glorious and grand vision of our future, Your future given to us. We pray that we might have faith to see it and hope for it. And God, to live for it. Would You do this now, we ask in Your name. Amen. You may be seated. Of course, um, we are excited about what is ahead for the life of our church as we move to our new downtown facility. Next week we will host, as Benji said a moment ago, our first services of worship, and with those services of worship, an entirely new chapter in the life of our church will begin. And we're excited about that new chapter. And of course, life is filled with beginnings. The most obvious beginnings that life is filled with is births, which many of you um, are enjoying with the start of your families, but we all also are born into this world, and so that is a beginning. Um, We also move on and graduate from high school and college. Uh, We move on and marry and uh, and buy our first homes and our first cars and and we um, we start those families that um, we celebrate here in the life of our church. Life is filled with those new beginnings. With each of those milestones, new chapters begin. But some of us also observe as those new chapters begin. Um, there are older parts of the story, more deeply rooted plot lines that continue to exert their influence. Um, as much as we long for the new chapter to begin, the old parts of our story continue to linger on and exert their influence in our life. It's true in everything. There's no part of our life where that old story is not exerting some influence in the new chapters begun. For example, no matter how much we diet or stay fit, our genetics and disease and death continue to exert an influence in our ongoing story, this was um, made palpable to me as I was working out just a few weeks ago at our gym, and a man who couldn't have been no more than 60 years old collapsed during his workout. He had to be resuscitated. There in the gym, d- designed for our fitness, was this man's on the cusp of perishing. We see it as we... Um, uh, see our loved ones depart. We form friendships. Um, we build relationships. And no matter how much we love them, they still will pass away, die or betray or distance or just flat out move. Here we are on the cusp of another summer and 
Um, we at Redeemer every year see loved ones move on to another chapter and we grieve their loss. It's hard to leave. It's hard uh, for those of us who stay. We see this in our families too. No matter how much we run away from our families or deny our families or or try to even destroy that story, we can't really escape the formative influence that our family of origin exerts on our life. Some of you have seen the movie August, Osage County with Julia Roberts. It it powerfully makes that point about the power of our family of origin and how it continues to exert such, such a powerful influence on the choices we make, the people that we We see it in our successes, our personal achievements. No matter how great attainments we we make, there is that specter of fear and failure. It always is there, isn't it? Think about great companies that have long since passed away, like Polaroid and Pan Am and Commodore Computers. Remember those guys? Some of you have never heard of them. But they were one day great great and alive, and yet passed away. But what are we going to do? The older rooted plot line lingers even as new chapters begin. That's true for us as we move into a new building. I know for many of us, we're thinking about um, winters uh, that are uh, climate-controlled, you know, here at Edison, we, we often have winters at 85 degrees and summers at 55 degrees. Um, won't it be great to, to experience a climate-controlled room and not have tiles maybe fall on us? <laughs> I mean, these are the things that are exciting about having a new building, and, and yet as we think about having a new facility, we have to remember that there is an older plot line because this is an older building. And no matter how new we make it, and it is new, it's beautiful, but there will still be um, messages and messengers from the past. We will have to manage a building. The truth is we're never able to, to move away from that older story completely. There will always be problems associated with it. There there will always be challenges associated with it. There will always be um, burdens that we carry with us about that older story. You see, no matter how much we long for the new of the future, and we do long for it, we long for what the Bible speaks about, shalom, wholeness, harmony. No matter how much we long for that, we will experience the sabotage of that older plot line. The brokenness of the story begun in the garden. And that will be true in our new facility too. Of course, it's important for us to get good maintenance contractors and to have great communication and for us to maintain good health, but they will never be enough. And it's never enough, even in our own lives, no matter what we do, we're never able to create the future that we long for by, by, by undoing the past, but by ourselves. We can't work hard enough to undo what's already broken. And we can't work hard enough in the present to, to keep all of the plates in the air to maintain the glory and the, the wholeness that, that we seek. We, we can't undo the past and we can't maintain the present. We can't do it. 
We can't create the future that we seek. But the Scripture tells us God can. In fact, He is. That's the promise revealed for us in Revelation 21 and 22. It's not a vision of what we're going to do and what we're going to accomplish. It's either a vision of what He is doing and promises to do for us. We're not up to this task, but He is. And that's why it's so encouraging because here we see revealed the future that we long for. And Jesus is calling us to focus on this future rather than to fixate on a past that we cannot undo or to obsess about a present that that we cannot control. He wants us to fixate on the richness of the future that He is bringing. The richness of a future that He is securing. The richness of a future that is so rich that it begins an entirely new existence for our life. That, That the future is a new future. And that's what's glorious about this passage. Jesus says here, Behold, I am making all things new. And He is. I am making all things new. And He is. And let's think about the newness that Jesus is bringing to us. First of all, consider the richness of this new city. We need to think about this language, the new city. Because as soon as I hear the words of of a city, I I want to um, know something about it, where it is and what it's like. And the passage answers both of those questions. First of all, it doesn't talk about a new city at the beginning, but rather a grander vision in which this new city is placed, an entire renewal of of the whole of the cosmos, what verses 1 calls the new heaven and the new earth. And as we've been learning over the past few weeks, an escapist, non-material view of heaven has nothing to do with the Bible's vision of the future. Rather, that owes itself to Greek philosophy. But the Bible's vision of the future is a this-worldly, this-earthly, cosmic renewal, a holistic restoration of all that God has made, that which was subjected to sin on account of Adam and Eve's Failure in the garden has now been set free and restored and will be put to rights. And so what God is promising and giving is this cosmic restoration of the heaven and of the earth. It will be new, remade, and repurposed. The extent of that restoration is emphasized by that statement. And the sea was no more. And as an aside, with that phrase, we learn something that we have to pay attention to throughout the entire chapter of 21 and 22, and that is the figurative imagery that is being used here because this language, if we're to understand it, isn't to be taken literally or we will miss its meaning. I mean, the vision of the heavens and the new earth is not one that is absent of the splendor and majesty of the oceans that we know and love, but rather the sea, as any ancient reader would have known, was a symbol of chaos and death, a symbol of fear and trepidation. And so when the um, writer here says that there is no more sea, what he's saying is that heaven will be absent of those harsh realities that we've come to know in this world. And isn't that what he's getting at in verse 3? And I heard a loud voice from the throne 
I'm sorry, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. There shall be no more sea. You see, see what the, the revelation here is answering. Where is this new city? It's right here. In a glorious, renewed, restored earth where heaven and earth are no longer separate but have come together. It's this glorious vision of an entirely new and harmonious cosmos. That's the setting in which this new city is placed. But, but also, let's consider the richness of its description. The architecture of the city is symbolic and powerful, encompassing the themes of beauty and strength and openness. This picture is marvelous, isn't it? The beauty of the city is re revealed. The streets are paved with gold, verse 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of gates made of a single pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And of course there immediately you know we're not talking about literal gold. Gold is neither transparent nor is glass gold. But those images come together to emphasize their beauty. That The beauty of this city, it's, um, it's bejeweled. There's pearls and jasper and all kinds of, uh, of, um, of precious stones accompanying um, the architecture of this building. We see it in verse 11 and verse 15 and 18 and 19. All of these things are speaking of the adornment of it. Because Jesus wants us to see its beauty. But this is just a beautiful city. It's a strong city. This is a city with substance, and we know it to be so because of the description of its walls. Um, the passage tells us it's, it's 1,380, oh, 12,000 stadia. Which would, if you do the math on that, literally would, would correspond to about 1,400 miles square. Which is massive even by our standards, but you can imagine how an ancient would have heard that. A city of size that they have never, could have never imagined. And the walls are not just long, they're high and they're thick. And of course, all speaking of the strength and might of this city. And when we think about a strong city, we, we don't speak of its walls, but we speak of its economy. We speak of its police force. We speak of its leadership. But an ancient reader wouldn't have spoken about the unemployment rate, that they would have spoken about the height of the walls. Because it would be the walls that would give that city protection in the midst of a battle. And so uh, that's the reason for, for this language. It's speaking of its strength. But curiously, what walls are meant to protect from foreign invaders and to provide the people inside to flourish. But notice it's not just these high and long and thick walls, but there are also three gates on every side. And notice in verse 25, these gates are always open. Look what it says there. 
Verse 24, But by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So in this city, the gates are always open. There is an openness about this city. Though it's strong and though it's beautiful, it has nothing to fear. And nor do its inhabitants. That you can come and go. That the people on the outside are not invaders and the people on the inside are not threatened. For this is in the place of a renewed cosmos. This is in the place of that harmonious humanity that, that we all long for. That This is the fulfillment of the global call of the gospel where all the nations gather and worship the one that we name our Savior, Jesus. And in that place, though we live in a strong city, we have no need for its strength. Because there is in this city, well, nothing to fear. The gates are open. The walls are strong. The beauty of this city is unmatched. This is a glorious place. This is a wonderful place. This is a place that certainly you resonate with. Wouldn't you want to be in this place? I would. I do. But the question I also ask is, is it coming? Can we be sure? Can we really be sure that this is coming to, to our lives? How secure is this new city? Well, not only are its wonders rich, we can be assured of its coming because it's secured by God Himself. He's preparing it. And He's preparing us for it. We see that again all the way back in verse 2. We see that this city is prepared by God in heaven. Look in verse 2 of chapter 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And then in verse 10, And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And immediately you see that city coming out of the heavens and we, we think of this may be um, shameless to say, but I'll say it. Lando Calrissian's clouded city, right? Um, and so we have to push beyond the literalism of cities in the cloud and realize the emphasis of the picture that is painted here is not upon um, uh, um, some perfect city in the clouds, but rather the origin of that city, the responsibility for that city. To say that this city is coming down from the heaven is to emphasize who is building it. Who's responsible for it? That God is the one who's building this city as opposed to the city of Babel which was built on the hubris, upon the pride of humanity as it sought to reach up into the heavens doing something for humanity, supplanting the place of God. This city comes down from heaven because God is the one building it. It's a city of His grace, not of our effort. Its descent means God is preparing it. It's prepared by God in heaven. But notice too, we're prepared for this city. 
In fact, we are the city. We read on. Notice verse 2. The heavenly city comes down from heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 9, it speaks of the revelation of a bride, the chosen people of God, the wife of the Lamb. In other words, the new city is not just being prepared in heaven, it's us being prepared for this enduring and eternal relationship that we shall have with our God. The picture here is of a groom awaiting the preparation of his bride and then being reconciled and restored for eternal relationship. This new city is secure because God prepares it. But but the passage is telling He's preparing us for that relationship. For we are His beloved bride. It's a wonderful picture. It explains verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. But you see, the picture of this new city is that God is dwelling with us and we are dwelling with Him. And it's for that reason it's secure because God is protecting it with His very presence because of His grace. And that's why in verse 22 we read curiously that there shall be here no temple. No symbol of God's dwelling because the literal dwelling of God shall be with His people. In this place there will be no temple because the promise of the temple will be realized fully in the presence of our God. And so the richness of reconciliation and restoration is realized here. You know, if you think back to the wreckage of the fall in the Garden of Eden. It was about um, alienation springing up. Right? Alienation with our fellow man between Adam and Eve. Alienation with creation. Um, that, That the creation begot thorns and thistles. Alienation with self as we covered our nakedness, seeking to hide ourselves even from ourselves. But the most fundamental alienation the Bible speaks about is that rupture between God and man, between God and humanity. That the fall created this chasm of alienation that we experience with God. And it's ultimately that separation that is the birth of every form of loneliness and insecurity that we know even today. And so often we're seeking to fill the holes of that loneliness with the so many things of this world, people and things and promises and treasures, and yet they cannot satisfy. We cannot build our lives together on the backs of other people and things. No, this is the picture of what will fill that hole of longing. And it is the reconciliation, the fullness of that reconciliation that we will experience with God in heaven, in the new city. That's what the passage is getting at. It's here that we will taste a restoration of reconciliation that we cannot imagine, but we deeply long for. Even today, you're wondering, how can my loneliness be addressed? How can can this insecurity be addressed? That's that older plot line, isn't it? 
And you're thinking this person or that thing can undo that broken story, and it can't. That broken story will be with you until this day. It will be with you until this day when God's promise securing of the new city is realized according to His saving grace. You see, this is the security. It's coming in all of its richness. But notice too, this is the third thing I want us to see this morning, is this new city is not just a destination, but it's a beginning. What God is doing in the future is giving us the promise of a future. And that's what we struggle with today, even. Do I have a future? Has that older plotline been so powerful to rob me of hope amidst a broken world? The promise of Revelation 21 and 22 is that we're not just promised a destination, the new city. We're promised a future from which to live for all eternity. And we see that in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 22. Notice that here in 22, um, two rich symbols reappear. Symbols that were there at the very beginning. The river of the tree, I'm sorry, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal in verse 1. And the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit for the healing of the nations, verse These were prominent symbols in Eden that, that represented the abundant provision of God to nourish Adam and Eve unto their task of being His image bearers. And of course, when they fell into their sin, they were barred from partaking of these rich symbols. But now, as God contemplates the consummation of all things, the restoration of all of His creation, these rich symbols reappear for two very important reasons. And the first one is this. The new city of God fulfills all that God had begun in His paradise. That the new city of God fulfills all of God's grand purposes for His people. That, that what God began, He never gave up on. Which is an important reminder that God is not finished with us. That God is not wasting His time on us. There's no random aspects to our life, but but God is absolutely and perfectly orchestrating His plan. He knows what He's doing. That no detail is overlooked. The city is, as Harvey Kahn states, the fulfiller of the paradise of God. This strand ties the future of the city with the original sinless past of Eden and its restoration in Christ. And we see it not just in the river of life and the tree of life. We see it in the memorials on the gates of the city. The twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve apostles of God. Such remind us that our part in the story has significance. That God is not just setting the table, but He's allowing us to participate in the story. And that part will endure and is fulfilled and transformed in accord with His grace. It's a wonderful picture that our part in the story will make its way to the eternal heavenly city. But notice too, it's not just a destination. It's a beginning It's the beginning of God's eternal purposes for all of His creations. Again, why is the river of life there? Why is the tree of life 
there in the garden. In the original paradise, it was to nourish and promote and protect the life of Adam and Eve so that they might fulfill their task on the earth. Doesn't it stand to reason that these symbols, these uh, sacraments even, are present in the paradise of God that we might be sustained as we fulfill an even greater destiny for all eternity? You see, the promise of the future of the new city is not only that it fulfills the past, but it anticipates an even greater future lived by us. An even greater future lived by us that we will reach God's destiny for us as His image bearers, restored, reclaimed, renewed, remade, as those who wear the resurrection body even as Jesus Christ does. T.S. Eliot, the poet, has a fabulous poem that contemplates such realities. Little Gidding, I, I recommend it, it to you. There in that poem, he contemplates the death of air and earth, of water and fire, but he also divines a new beginning that grace begins. In your bulletin, there's one line quoted, but here's a few more. What we call the beginning is often the end. And to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. The end is where we start from. The paradise of God, the restored new city, is where we will begin the rest of our lives. He goes on in that poem. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. I think T.S. Eliot is on to something. We shall not cease exploring, and to arrive where we started will be to know the place for the first time. You see, the new heavens and the new, the new city is not to be taken out of this world but to be taken back to it in a renewed and reformed and restored way so that when we're back here, renewed and reformed, we will know it in an entirely new way, in a way that we've never known. And so we will be able to spend our lives exploring it, rejoicing in it, knowing it, as though we have never yet known it. The vision of the future is not a destination. It's a beginning. It's a beginning. The new city stretches out for us forever. So what? What's the significance of that as we think about moving into our new downtown facility? Well, lots of things. For one, the new building is not going to finally escape that older plot line, right? There will be challenges ahead. The new building is not a destination, but it is another part of this long chapter that looks forward to the final restoration of all things. And so as we look forward, we must continue to look even beyond what is to come to the grander and more glorious future God is giving us. And we must be careful that, that we not look to a past that we cannot undo, that we not focus and control the present for things that we can't maintain, that we fix our gaze on what God is doing and what God is promising. The richness of the new city. The fact that He alone can secure it, we can't. 
and that what is to come will be so much better than what we have today that we should not be bothered by the disappointments of today, but reach further and look forward. Now that's the message for us. But what about those who've yet to come? You see, if we're not seeking to enter that city, how can we lead others to that city? You see, it's not just a matter of where our focus is. If our focus is in the wrong place, how will we lead others to that glorious vision of the future too? How will we help them find the gates, the gates of the new city? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this, Your holy word, and the vision of the future that You give to us. Fill us with faith, hope, and love that is the consequence of Your grace that we might not only seek this new city, but Lord, lead others to it. We pray this in Your holy name. Amen.